Hello, friends, and welcome to the Midpacker Pod, brought to you by Free Trail. I am your host, Troy Meadows, and I am stoked to bring you informative and relatable content from people just like you, everyday runners, pushing their boundaries and doing extraordinary things on and off the trails. Today on the pod, I am super stoked to sit down and talk with Matt Feltek. Matt is a father, husband, marketer, and trail runner. Matt is the marketing director at Era Viper Running, and he and has played a huge role in bringing us the amazing live stream coverage that we have all come to love from Jamil and crew. We geeked out a lot on marketing here, but we also managed to talk about Matt's running and his next race, the Georgia Death Race, which he claims he is coming out of retirement to run. We also talk about how, as a father of three, he juggles the needs of his family with his job requirements and running goals. And his philosophy of prioritization here is a huge takeaway for me in this conversation. I also want to take the opportunity to shout out the live broadcast that Mountain Outpost is putting together for the Mammoth Trail Fest this weekend, hosted by Free Trail founder Dylan Bowman and Free Trail OG community member Katie Asmuth. This should be a lot of fun, and I know that Matt will have his hands in helping bring this live race experience to us. So big kudos to Matt for all your hard work. Also, I'll be racing Grindstone this weekend, so feel free to drop into the Midpacker Pod DMs on Instagram if you want to give me a shout out. I'm working on getting an episode ready for next week, but no promises here as I may need to take a week off and recover from uh, the 100-mile effort. We'll see. Lastly, the Midpacker Pod now has a Patreon account. So if you are loving the pod and want to support my content efforts directly, become a member. It's just a buck a month, and I'll link to it in the show notes. As always, thank you to everyone for listening. I love bringing this content to you and have been blown away by the response of the trail and ultra running community. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, let's get to my conversation with Matt Feldeck. All right, friends, welcome back to the Midpacker Pod. I am super excited uh, for our guest today, Mr. Matt Feldick. Uh, Matt, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. Just living the dream over here. How are you? Uh, no complaints. Um, I'll let you know the audience, if you hear a random buzzing, that's just the air conditioner next to me, and I'm recording outside in a screened-in porch in the... Uh, on the coast of, of North Carolina, so a little mobile action. Um, but I was able to bring the entire mobile recording studio with me. I feel like kind of pro over here, even though I'm, I'm this will be the first episode I do sitting down. I usually do all these things at my stand up desk. So um, yeah, new and exciting. But uh, enough about me. Um, Matt, tell the audience, give them, give the audience uh, the two to, to 10 minute um, who is Matt Feldick? Yeah, so I am the marketing director at Air Viper Running. I think that that's maybe what I'm most known for in the sport currently. Um, I am a recently unretired trail runner uh, coming out of retirement, but I live up in the beautiful Flagstaff, Arizona, uh, Air Viper headquarters down in Phoenix. Um, Been out in Arizona since early 2021 and been in the sport of trail running for seven or eight years now um yeah before that did a lot of track and road stuff since since i can remember but yeah just stoked to be on the pod and stoked to just have a conversation in uh, whichever the way the wind takes us 
Yeah. Awesome. And that's kind of how I like to do it. We'll, we'll talk about some, some of the early stuff. And then, you know, I really, you know, I definitely want to dive into the work that, that you're doing in Aravipa and, and the role you've had at, um, really bringing Aravipa to the next level. I mean, you guys are doing amazing things. I think the audience would, would agree. So, um, but yeah, let's start with your trail running journey, Matt. And actually, you know, welcome back to the fold to come out of retirement. Big deal. You know, that's pretty cool. We'll talk about that a little bit and see what, what you have on the calendar. So, uh, um, but yeah, what, what was kind of that journey to trail for you? You said you, you kind of started on the road world and, uh, and ended up finding the trails. Uh, I would love to, to kind of talk about that for a minute. Yeah. So, I mean, I started running, like, I think my first my first like major track meet, I ran like an AAU national meet when I was like eight. Um, and so like I had done like the youth track and field thing. I'd done high school track and cross country. I was fortunate enough to run collegiately track and cross country at Eastern Illinois university. And then after that, I did, I think what every kind of collegiate track and field athlete that still loved the sport around that time did. And like, tried to tried to chase marathon trials on the road um while I was in grad school so that was 20 summer of 2012 going into 2013 and I just kind of was doing that tore had a got a partial tear in my Achilles while doing that mm. so missed like most of 2013 2014 and part of 2015 and then at the start of 2015, I started managing like a local running store, um, was like just starting to get back into, into running. I was working with Chris Vargo at the time, which probably like as my coach, which was probably one of the bigger influences, right? Like he was doing a lot of great things in the trail space back then. I had known him through some of like my, uh, master's thesis research stuff. Uh, so I'd like been in conversations with him during my time in grad school. Um, and he was actually coaching me still more like a return to running, get healthy type thing, but focused still primarily on roads. And then I think just like managing a retail store, I wanted to do the best job I could. And so I, like started trying to find more information on like the footwear that we were selling. And I came across Ethan Newberry, the ginger runners, like Newton, aha, like the original Newton, aha, uh, Bro, shoe the, review. Those shoes were kind of a trip, man. It was right when Newton came out. Um, our store was carrying them. He had done some, some shoe reviews on them. And so that like spurred me down the rabbit hole of all of his, uh, gear reviews. And then eventually like, like everything, Oh, it's, you see a trail shoe review and then YouTube serves you a, uh, like Malibu Creek 10 K trail run vlog that he had done or something. And it's like, Oh, people run trails. Like we had run some soft surface stuff in college, but like not really with that intention. And so I was starting to get healthier. Um, started running on trails a little bit more, but still wanted to see like what I have left on the road a little bit. Um, and it wasn't until like, I just randomly woke up one day and decided I wanted to move away from Illinois. So I'd lived in like the same part of Southern Illinois for, I mean, I was what, I guess, 20, 
five or 26 at this time. So like my whole life up to that point, and I just decided that I was going to move. And I randomly picked Atlanta, Georgia uh, to move to. Didn't know anyone there. My cousin lived like an hour or so south, but that was the only person I knew in the state of Georgia. And I just packed up all my stuff, moved to Atlanta, thankfully found a job. And like that was really the first time I got into like actual trail running was like once I was down there, I'd been exposed to trail shoes. I was being coached by Chris Vargo. And now all of a sudden I had access to like awesome trails, like both locally in like the Metro Atlanta area, but also like a 90 minute or two hour drive from the Southern approach of the AT. Um, And like Mount Baxter. Yeah. I mean, I guess that that's like, that's how I probably like first got my start. And I think one of the things that I was always grateful of, and I'm still good friends with Chris, to this day is like, he never pressured me into like doing anything on the trails. So like, I think I was still running road stuff in like 2016, 2017, even, uh, you know, two years after having moved to Atlanta. So I was still like kind of mixing stuff up, but yeah, I think that was like how I dipped my toes in was, uh, kind of through that long winded story. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And it's, so it's, it's funny. Cause I think, you know, Mr. Newberry is the content he puts out is so amazing. And a lot of people find it. And I think a lot of people find, um, you know, figure out that you can do the trails, you know, through a lot of, you can run trails through a lot of the content he puts out, but it's kind of funny. You're like, I needed a shoe review. I found the shoe review and then the YouTube algorithm did the rest. And, uh, and here we are. Right. So yeah, I blame, uh, I blame YouTube for kind of creating this addiction. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you fast forward 10 years ago and, you know, you're an integral part of the community, man. It's like really cool. That's a really cool story. And, uh, you know, to come from, you know, road to come from an injury, to have that injury kind of facilitate, you know, the need to make a change, uh, even though you still loved running, obviously you, you still have a love for running on the roads. Uh, and I, I want to, you know, I want to say for the audience, if you guys, if you guys and gals don't know, man, that Nike team back in 2011, 12, 13 with Vargo, uh, um, Alex, uh, Zach is like literally brought Zach out, Sally. Uh, I mean, that team was, they were doing some amazing things back then. And I think they really, I think if I'm being honest with you, I think Nike really dropped the ball. I think they had something really good going on there, but, but either way, like I remember, um, yeah, I remember, I remember Chris and Alex running way too cool together and basically just deciding like, uh, I guess you can, you know, like they, they ran together, they, they won and toot it. And then that year, um, Alex was running Western States and, and Chris crewed him or pay and paced him. And I, I spectated that. And so it was like kind of cool to be a fly on the wall to, to watch those guys and love, you know, love watching Chris race. And it's, uh, you know, I know he went on to do some really fun, really cool stuff with, um, he's a, he's like a wilderness firefighter now. Is that, is that correct? And does some coaching. So, you know, yep. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure how much coaching he still does. I'm coached by his wife Alicia now, which is uh, no, she, well, like she's a, a funny full too. circle. Yeah, funny first full circle moment. But yeah, Chris is a firefighter up in Colorado now, so they used to live here in Flag, um, but they recently moved up to I think Breckenridge, Summit um, County. Yep, yeah. exactly. Nice. Um, well, yeah, man, that's a love. I do love that story. And Atlanta, I've, I've uh, I know Atlanta quite well. I don't know the trails around Atlanta, but you know, Atlanta's a fun city to, to had to have been a fud, fud city to cut your teeth in. 
Um, before we roll in, honestly, before we, I want to talk about, uh, you know, you have three kids. I want to talk about, you know, the way, how you balance all the things, but what ultimately led you into your role at Aravipa and, you know, the move out to Arizona, was it, was it from Atlanta to Arizona or were there transitions in between that? Yeah. So I had, like I said, when I moved to Atlanta, I got a job working at run specialty retail. I went on to like manage three, uh, Atlanta area fleet feet locations and moved into marketing for those three locations. And then was actually brought on to the Mizuno us like running team as like kind of the person who oversaw like retail marketing there. So they're headquartered in Atlanta. And I did that for a couple of years. Um, I think maybe a little over two years. And during that time, like I'd grown into trail running a lot more. My wife and I had visited Arizona a handful of times on vacation and like even working for like a fairly major brand and having like a really awesome job. I just told myself, I was like the only role I would probably ever leave Mizuno for at the time was like to go to a place like Aravipa. Um, because like for the longest time, that was kind of my dream job. My wife and I wanted to live in Arizona and in early 2021, like mid, uh, mid of those unspeakable times, uh, my wife got a job offer in Phoenix. And so we just like packed up our house, uh, in the Atlanta suburbs and moved. And I actually didn't, I'd applied for, I think like a virtual race director job with Jamil or like with Aravipa, I was like, I'll do whatever. Like, you know, I need work and I feel like I can work my way up if I just get my foot in the door. And so we moved, I was a stay at home dad for like, I think a week. And then Jamil called and was like, Hey, do you want this job? Blah, blah, blah. Boom. Done. So when I started, I was the virtual events director, kind of like leading all of our virtual stuff. And I think I started in like maybe March. And then I think by, uh, so my, my good friend, Rob Ricardo was like the marketing and media director at the time. And they had just done the kind of inaugural black Canyon live stream. I had come on board like a week or two after that. And then Rob had planned almost the entire Coca Dona live stream in 2021 because Jamil was running. And he needed help like on commentary. And I was like, sure, whatever you need. And so from there, I just got more involved on like the media side. Um, but once we started doing more live streams, it was clear like Rob needed to focus on the media side and we needed someone else to like do the marketing stuff. Mm -hmm. And so while I still did our virtual stuff, I also shifted into like handling all of our marketing. And that was probably like, June of 2021. So maybe three or four months after I'd started was when I kind of took over the marketing director role. Yeah. Very cool, man. And I know like, obviously the virtual stuff was kind of a, it wasn't, a, it was a necessity over a want, you know, I imagine for a lot of organizations and, you know, we're, we're in a, we're in a situation now where I think there's still some virtual stuff going on, but it's not nearly as prevalent. There's not like a, I need to do this if you're a runner, you know, like I, I have, sorry, excuse me. I have to do this if you're a runner is kind of yep. where we were all at. So it's kind of cool 
that you were able, you know, it's a classic story, you know, I'm just going to get my foot in the door and I'm going to put my head down, but I'm going to flex. Right. And, and hopefully in, in flexing and being available and, and putting myself out there and, and being indispensable, um, you know, you're able to move yourself into, you know, upper man- management executive role. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it like kind of all circles back to like when I decided to leave Illinois and move to Atlanta, like I spent my, all of my savings to move. Like I had no job lined up. I was living in a house in like a not super great part of Atlanta with like three people I met on Craigslist. Like, but when I made that decision to do that, I was like, okay, like I was 25 and single or whatever. And I was like, I'm just going to work as hard as I can at whatever I'm doing. And hopefully I can outwork the person next to me and continue to like progress in life. Right. Like there was a time where I couldn't afford to like drive my car to work. So I would ride my bike to the train, take the train like two miles from work and then ride my bike to work, work from like nine thirty AM till we closed at seven and then do the same taking, riding my bike to the train and taking it back into Atlanta. And so I think that that is always just like carried on. So when I started at Aravipa, I was like, okay, I'm just going to try to outwork everyone else. And even if I'm not the hardest worker or the best, it means like the company is probably moving forward, right? Like if I work really hard to be as good as I can be, and there are people better than me, which there inevitably always are, it's like, okay, that's awesome. Like that means we're doing really well. And so I think that that was like, one of those moments that like kind of encapsulated that for me was like, Oh, I'm just going to put my nose down and work as hard as I can. And at some point that's probably going to be enough for me to like do something else within the company. Are you looking to represent your love of the trails off the trails? Then check out run trail life, the casual apparel company that lets you show your love of trail and ultra running while giving back to protect the trails. We love so much. RTLTs are 100% organic cotton or made from recycled water bottles, and $1 from every item purchased is donated to Runners for Public Lands, a not-for-profit dedicated to creating and maintaining trails on our public lands. I am super passionate about this company because I am the founder and solo entrepreneur behind it. That's right, from the website to the apparel designs, I created it all. So if you love the content on the pod, consider supporting me directly with a purchase. And if you use code MidpackerPod, I will double the donation from your purchase to Runners for Public Lands. I personally love the Ultra Runners Do It Longer tee and the RTL Logo Trucker, which has a sweet built-in headband making it perfect for your next long run. Visit runtraillife.com to check out our entire line of hats and tees. Thanks for your support. It's it's interesting too, because you're like, I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can. But at the end of the day, the tide is going to lift all boats, right? You're like, well, if I'm doing amazing work and there are still people who are doing as amazing or more work than I am, then like that's a win, win, win for the organization. And and it, it's also a huge value add and thinking that way and having that growth mindset. Um, you know, it's a really positive, it's a really positive thing uh, to have and bring into an organization. So sorry, really quickly for anyone that can hear the pterodactyl in the background is indeed my 17 month old son, like one pane of glass away. And it sounds like he's living his best life. So just so everyone knows, there's no like cat dying in the background of the pod. So, um, 
But yeah, we're going to we're going to pivot back to I, w- I want to spend some time talking about the live stream, the work that you do commentary, the work that you do producing, um, you know, you are an integral part of some of my favorite moments in in the sport year over year. And we're going to get to that. But I want to cycle back to I mean, Matt, you're doing all this and you have three kids, bro. You know, like, let's let's just talk for a second. And speaking of, you know, children, like I have one of my own and this is an itch that I scratch and, you know, it's my pod. So I get to scratch all the itches I want. You know, like, how do you do it, man? What is the framework that you have? And, and what's the kind of um, com- the communication? And what are the things that you're doing with your partner? Uh, just to make sure that a, you know, you can show up for your three kids uh, on a daily basis, but then also, um, you know, show up for Aravipa in a meaningful way. And then also, ultimately, you know, you're coming out of retirement, man. And that means you got to put you got to put the block in, you know, you got to put the blocks in, you got to stack the blocks. So, you know, how, how, how are you juggling all the things right now, man? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, sometimes I don't know how, like my wife also works full time and mm. is like incredible at what she does. So like, there's times where I'm like, I don't know how we actually do this. But I think that the biggest thing for me is like, my wife is always incredibly supportive of like anything I do, because she knows how much like the stuff that I actually put my heart into like means to me. But she also knows like when to like check me on things, which I think is also important, right? And like, yeah, I love that. For me, for me, it's like she supports everything I do, and then I, in turn, obviously support everything she does. But I just prioritize like what needs done, right? And like, my family is always like at the top. Like, if my wife said right now, like we need to move to Antarctica because that's what is best for our family. I would start packing the suitcases. Like, like that's what we need to do. Like we're, we're gone. Right. But I think for me, it's like all of the other time that like a lot of people try to enjoy, like I sacrifice, I try to sacrifice a lot of those times to like spend with my kids. Like not, I don't know it's hard to maybe like fully put into, into words. Like sleep is obviously one of the first things that, that goes, uh, but like, I've, yeah, let's not talk like about I'm that. okay <laughs> with that. <laughs> like I've just become okay with that. Like if that's the sacrifice I need to make to be like a good father, a good husband, mm. like a good employee and someone who like moves the sport forward and hopefully like a good runner again at some point, like, Oh, I can, I can do that off little sleep. Like that's something that I've just like accepted. Um, but I think the other thing is like, I know when I can make time for my friends and my college buddies and stuff like that to like get on the phone and talk with them or like shoot the breeze or like do all those things. But then I know when I can't do that. Right. And so it's like finding, I think, that balance and like the sacrifices to make like running is another sacrifice that like I've been willing to make. Like before we had kids, I was able to run, you know, 90, hundred mile plus weeks in the mountains. And like, I'm not able to do that now. And that's just something I've come to terms with, right? Like I don't need that to be a happy person, right? Like I would love to be able to spend more time in the mountains but not at the sacrifice of like spending time with my kids or things like that. 
Yeah, no, I get that. And I think that's something I personally have been kind of, I want to say battling with, but I've definitely had to think about, you know, what are the things I'm going to do? How do I prioritize those things? Like this year, it's two, I have, I had two events on my calendar, one in April and or one in May and, and one, you know, coming up here in a week and everything in between was wide open. And I tried to be intentional about that. Um, and have conversations. I've said this a lot on the pod, but like in December I sat down with my wife and I said, okay, these are the two things I'm doing. This is what the calendar is going to look like. There's going to be four weeks, five, six weeks, maybe tops out of the whole year where you're not going to like me because I'm going to have these priorities, which are, you know, peak weeks during these two different events. And I just need you to be on board with the fact that you're going to have, you may have to pick up a little more of the responsibilities and then we're going to ebb and flow that responsibility, uh, you know, what those responsibilities are. Um, but yeah, man, I think it's super important. I know you mentioned the sleep thing. I definitely struggle with that right now. I, I, I'm still able to manage to get like between six and a half and seven and a half hours of sleep. But it also means that like, you know, I'm, I'm doing a strength training workout. Like I was just doing a strength training workout last night at like 9.30. I started at like at nine o'clock, finished up at like 10, 10, 15, and then literally like brushed my teeth and went and lay down to bed. You know, like I, there's no staying up till 11.30 watching Netflix anymore. You know, it's like I'm in bed at 9.30 or 10 o'clock, like every single night. Cause I know that that's the only way I'm going to be able to wake up at five o'clock in the morning and get in an hour or an hour and a half of running before the family wakes up and before, uh, you know, job obligations happen. So I think, you know, I think that's, it's really poignant, you know, like you just, and what you said about like making time for your social life, like a lot of times if you're going to be a committed athlete and you're going to have, be a family man and you're going to work on, um, you know, your vocation, like your social life is the first thing that kind of has to go, you know, and you have to make sure that you're showing up for the wife and that, she likes the person that she married. And I think that's something that I don't want to say, I, I don't struggle with it, but it's something that I, I constantly have to tell myself. I'm like, dude, are, are you being the kind of person that someone wants to like to be with, you know, like ask yourself, be honest with yourself, Troy, you know, and sometimes the answer is yes. And most of the time the answer is yes. And sometimes that answer is no. So working on more yeses and less no's. So. Yeah. I mean, I think the most important part, at least for me was like, just defining what I'm okay with like sacrifice. Mm. Right. Like, and for me, that was like easy ish. Like I've been, again, I've been running competitively since I was eight. Like I've accomplished almost everything I could want in the sport. And so for me, it was easy to say like, okay, I would rather prioritize my family and my career in order to provide the best life possible for my children and my wife and stuff like that. Like that to me, it was easy to sacrifice running because I'd already been doing it for at a high level for 20 plus years. Right. And so it's, I don't know, it, it took a while to come to terms with, but when I made the decision, like, it's not like, Oh, I hate running or I don't run or stuff like that. Like, Oh, it was like, okay, I'm just not going to prioritize this as much. And I get, I get in grooves where I'm able to train more, but then when family stuff or work stuff comes up, like running for me tends to be a lower priority. Um, but like for everyone that's going to be different. Right. And it's like, yeah, you just have to come to terms with like what you're okay with kind of parting with. Right. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah, no, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I was just going to say too, it, it sounds like you've been able to, you know, a lot of people have this issue with their identity is wrapped up around their running. And it seems like you were really able to like parse that out and say like, no, 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 I'm a runner, but I'm also, I like being a dad. I like being a family man. I, I really like being a good husband. I, I love my job. Right. And it's kind of like a lot of people just go like, you know, all in on the running thing. Even, you know, even if you're not like a professional athlete, like you just eat, sleep and, and, and breathe the lifestyle, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but like, like you said, you have to, you have to be able to prioritize what's important, man. And, and sometimes some people are not able to, to think about, not able to deprioritize their running and do it in, in kind of phases. So it's, it's kind of cool. You're, you're in, you've been in like a deprioritized running phase and sounds like you're going to be moving into, uh, you're going to be reprioritizing running just a little bit here, uh, this year. So, or next year. So. Yeah. One, I mean, like, I don't want to make it sound like that process was easy, right? Like sure. my identity was wrapped up in running for mm. me. Like when I first got into grad school, like I went from, okay, every single day of the week, you train at three 30 with these people at this location. And you're like a part of a team. And then all of a sudden, like that goes away and you have to like, have this come to Jesus moment on your own. Even if you're training at a high level, it's like, Oh, no longer have training partners. I no longer have this structure. I can run whenever I want. And so it took me probably from like 2013 to like 2019 to like really come to that. And it took a couple Achilles tears in the middle there to like Mm. help facilitate that. But like, it's hard. Like it's definitely not easy. I think that I just had five plus years of like, okay, you don't, you're not just a runner, you know, like, Oh, you still love running and you still want to do it at a high level, but you're not just a runner. And then that with a couple of injuries, like slowly transitioned to like, well, maybe you're not just a runner. And also, you know, you may or may not be able to run at like a high level, but you can still enjoy it and you can prioritize other things. And like, for me, like I just spent so much time as like, Oh, I'm Matt Feldick runner for Eastern Illinois university or runner for St. Anthony high school in Effingham, Illinois or whatever. Right. Like that was who I was. And then it's like, over time, it's like, ah, that's not who I am. Like I'm the marketing manager at fleet feet Atlanta, or I'm the retail marketing specialist at Mizuno or whatever. Like, Oh, I'm Renee's husband. Like I'm Harper's dad. Like I become those things in addition to like, Oh yeah, I run like, but it's more of, it's further down on the totem pole. And obviously I still love running and am passionate about, uh, about running in all facets, including trail running. But like, it's just not who I am as a human exclusively anymore, which is what it was for, 20 some odd years probably yeah no that's that's huge i feel like i I got back into running late so i'm kind of still in the middle of that like uh very much passionate about it um and probably looking i'll be honest with you i'm looking at taking a a serious step back in 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 2014 and and trying to just kind of prioritize a couple things in life that just aren't necessarily running so this is a really salient conversation for me um but you know, speaking of things that are about running, but not about your running in general, like let's get into the stuff that, that you've been doing, um, with Aira Vipa and you, you kind of gave us, 
you gave us a really good timeline earlier about like getting to 2021. Right. And, and that's kind of when, I mean, I'll be honest with you, man, that's where, that's when you guys set the bar pretty high over there at Aravipa and, and you guys dropped that first live stream of, of the black Canyon race. And it was just kind of like, okay, it, nothing will ever be the same. Right. Like I look at that to me, that's a watershed moment in where the sport went. Cause soon after that, um, and I, I'm not sure. I mean, I imagine Western States was still working on this, but like, you know, they brought the Western States live stream. Um, obviously like UTMB was doing like UTMB things, but I think, I think what you guys did at Black Jan- at Black Canyon sent ripples through through the way UTMB produced and and what they were thinking about in that experience they were trying to bring. Um, but I would love, and obviously, like, I mean, I've got my own personal story of of Coconona this year. Like, I was I'm here in Oriental right now, but like six months ago when you guys were doing the the Coconona live stream, I was actually here because uh, my parents come and 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 rent this place out two months out of the year. And I was visiting for a week and it just so happened to be during Cocodona. So I had my, my iPad on and I like turn on and I'm like, they get back from a bike ride and I'm like, mom, dad, you know, Cocodona, I mean, I know you know this already, but you know, Cocodona live streams on, they're like, Coco, what? And so I explain it to them and they're both endurance athletes. They love cycling. And, and three days later, my mom's like holding the iPad in her hand being like, dude, so-and-so dropped out. So-and-so's here, like in the chat. And I'm just like, yeah, this is what's up. So, um, anyway, I kind of like, let's go. I want to, I want to start at, at, at Black Canyon, but like, what was it like at Aravipa when you guys are like, and I know I've, I mean, I've, I've heard Jamil talk about this. We had him on office hours and I asked him a question, you know, and he very much was like, to be honest with you, I was like, what was it like to build it? And he's like, to be honest with you, man, like we literally were just building it. We, we, we pushed all the parts of the airplane out of the bat. You know, we jumped out of the airplane and we started building, we started building our own plane on the way down. And, and it just happened to pull it off. And like, what was it like to be at the ground floor of an iteration process and, and, and going into that unknown and really, I mean, talk about putting you guys, putting yourself out there. I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone in the, in, in, in the community would have been like, Oh, I can't believe they put out garbage or I can't believe they didn't pull that off, but you guys really did. But I would love for you to talk about like what it was like and what the feeling was on the ground floor of trying to execute something as big and audacious as, as that first live stream at Black Canyon. Yeah. So I started at Aravipa maybe like a week after Black Canyon. So I wasn't okay. a part of the initial live stream. However, so everything I'm about to say is through like secondhand sources, either okay. yeah, conversations cool. I've had with Jamil or Rob who helped um, with a lot of the back end stuff of the live stream or from Skyler who uh, did commentary for that first year live stream. And I think that the feeling at the time wasn't, I don't think, well, and I think that this is true every time. I don't think you realize like how a live stream is going until after it's done. Mm. And then it's like, you feel like, oh, that was pretty good. Or, oh, that wasn't very good. Um, but I think that, I think that the feeling I got from everyone by the time I got there was like, everyone felt good about it, like really good about it. But like, as soon as it was done, the ideas are like, how can we make it better? Yeah. There's a hundred right? things. And like right? some of it at the time was like limited to connectivity. Like mm-hmm. you're out kind of in the foothills of the desert. Uh, Starlink wasn't around yet. So you're relying off like cell coverage. Um, 
But I think that there was always like hope once we figured out how to get drone camera feeds into the live stream, which we figured out, I think like maybe a couple days before black Canyon. Yeah. That, that's like, what, that's like, what, that's what Jamil said too. He was just like, I'll be honest with you, Troy. Like I had no idea if it was going to work because we didn't like, know until two days. Yeah. I think he went and test flew on like Thursday or Friday and the race is Saturday. Um, and like that was when, it, because it would have been hard to provide coverage without the drone integration sure. because you're limited by Wi-Fi or by cell signal. You're going to kind of come in and out if the camera feed is moving. So you're not going to be able to cover much of the race course in a very meaningful capacity. So like, I think that that to me was one of the things that, everyone kind of hung their hat on the most was like how we figured, we figured out the solution to this problem, which was getting drone feeds into our live stream software, which we had also only found out about a few weeks before. Um, and once we figured that out, like to us or to them at the time, not us, like that was the almost revolutionary moment where it was like, Oh, this can help because it can give us a wider net of coverage across the race course. Yeah. Um, well, and so I think and that, and the I content that is that so, was, yeah. I would say, and the content is so dynamic, like especially out there in the desert, especially like in that terrain, like having those, uh, having those drone shots is kind of like, yeah, it really showcases what makes trail running and ultra running so much different than road running and, and other endurance sports is just the, the places that you get to go do this, man. So yeah, I mean, for sure. And I think that, yeah, that's one of the, the biggest things, especially in that kind of f the first iteration of Black Canyon. Like that was one of the like biggest breakthroughs, I think. Like everyone kind of knew how to get a phone feed into a live stream software. Mm -hmm. um, but there hadn't really been much drone usage yet and i don't i honestly i don't even know if utmb had started using drones into their live streams yet or if they were still using they were patching like they used to use helicopters yeah, exactly uh, they were patching helicopter feeds in so they're it's a that's a completely yeah. different animal too because it's yeah anyway i don't want to get into the details there but like it provides just like such a dynamic coverage but then the ability to use drones opened it up to okay, more, more people could do this or Air Viper could do this at more races because drones are a lot cheaper than a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like that was, I think, one of the, the big breakthroughs of that stream. In addition to like, it was kind of like the first of its kind in North America, Yep. which like Western states was already planning their stuff at the time. Like we just happened to be, our race just happened to come first. So it's sure. not like, oh, we we had the idea before them or any of these things like Jamil had been doing so much video stuff prior that I think he'd been wanting to do it for a while. And I think once he figured out some of the pieces to the puzzle, it was just a big breakthrough. Yeah. It was kind of an aha moment. You're like, wait a minute, if I do this and I add it to this and I add it to this, I bet maybe possibly we can do something like this. And, you know, here we are and, and fast forward, I guess, you know, you said four months later, you know, you're managing the marketing for, for Air Vipa, right? So, so you've kind of gone, I mean, obviously everyone kind of had to put the, the virtual stuff on, on the back burner uh, and start focusing on, on the live events again. And, um, you know, what, 
to keep to, just to keep on the live stream th- uh, theme like was the next black canyon was that the first event where you played an integral role in the, in the production of the event because i know um you know from from me like dude I, i'm just like i'm used to seeing i expect to see matt you know i expect to see you either commentating or you get up and someone else takes it over but they're talking to matt they're like yo matt what's up help help us you're still producing it you're still switching feeds you're still making sure that the technical back end is working properly you're still making sure that all the all the ad sponsor reads are getting done you're making sure that all the all the commercials are getting played um so you know was it that that next black canyon where where you were you were really like kind of had some of the reins on that yeah so uh, my first involvement in any capacity was the first year of Cocodona. Okay, cool. So just a few months, what, two and a half, three months after um, after Black Canyon, I was working on a virtual event concept that was like, uh, I think it was called Cocodona Virtual, but it was basically like a virtual tour of the Cocodona course. And Rob at the time was working on the live stream stuff for Cocodona, but he didn't have any commentators. So I think like maybe a week and a half before the race, he's like, Hey, can you help do this live stream? I was like, commentary. I was like, sure. Why not? Like I can talk in front of a camera. I don't, I don't care. Um, and I know the course from like the research I've needed to do for this virtual concept. And so back then it was, we had like a, we had an in-studio like videographer who basically just made sure like audio was okay, that video feeds were okay, that like stream going to YouTube was good. And then Rob and I would commentate and Rob would also be the person who was switching camera feeds and communicating with the field and doing all, like he was basically producing and commentating at the same time. And so he and I commentated most of yeah. The first Cocodona um, live stream with help from Chris Warden, who's like a staple in the Aravipe community. He would come in after work and do some commentary. Um, and so that was like my first foray into live stream. We then did, I think, six days in the dome uh, a few months later where I did just commentary. And then... Uh, the same with we live streamed Kendall Mountain Run in 2021, where I helped do commentary. I think the first, I think the first live stream that I helped with the production of was probably that 2022 Black Canyon. Rob Rob left uh, like in between Kendall Mountain Run in July and Havelina in October. And so our first Havelina stream was like, oh, Rob usually does all this stuff. Who's going to do it? And mm-hmm. it was kind of just like a scramble. And it wasn't maybe our best stream. We didn't kind of cross all our I's and dot all, all our T's. Dot all our I's and cross all our T's. And so it it wasn't super great, but it was like a something that we learned a lot from, which was important. And then we kind of carried that into the 2022 Black Canyon where my role became more of like production. And then I would help commentate as needed. Um, but even with Havelina, like I was producing in studio just while commentating, but I didn't do any of like the pre-planned logistics right. or back end type stuff. Well, it sounded like when once 
um, you know, once Rick left, is that right? Sorry. Who, who Rob, Rob, thank you. Sorry. My, my short term yep. memory is not good. Uh, so once Rob left, it sounded like you guys, there was some SOP documents and checklists that need to be, uh, created and formulated. So you guys could have a, uh, it, it's, it's always like this. It's a very entrepreneurial thing to do. And I, I know it from personal experience is like you hold on to as much as you can until it, until it hurts, you know, and then, and then you delegate. And when you delegate, you have to be really good about making sure that, that you, that you're handing over really good standard operating procedures. And, and it sounds like, um, there was a little bit of a vacuum there. And, and obviously, I mean, I don't think anyone from the outside looking in, uh, could really notice, uh, as far as the quality of the, that Havelina live stream. But I imagine, you know, you guys all saw it because you, you, you guys are the ones that get to be critical of the work that you do. Uh, we just get to be the ones that sit back and enjoy it, you know? So, um, you know, and that, and that's, it, it's just poignant too, that you guys are able to kind of take a step back and say, we can do better and we need to figure, we, we need to make sure that we can figure this out. And then, you know, so fast forward, we're here, we're, we're at black canyons. And I mean, that's, you know, that's when you guys were able to, you guys brought like Starlink to the table. You guys like shored up a lot of holes that you had in, 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 in the previous year's coverage with the Starlinks. And you guys, I mean, I remember the first one, but the second one, you guys like, I mean, I, from an outside perspective, looking in, you guys like knocked it out of the park and you guys did things. You, you could tell that, there was a post-mortem that was done. And in that post-mortem, there was, this needs to change. This needs to change. How can we make this better? How can we make this better? Uh, and you guys really implemented a lot of that stuff, but it sounds like there was an iteration process from, you know, that first one through Cocodona, um, through some of the other live streams into, into what you guys did, um, at Havelina. And then obviously like kind of culminated with, um, with last year's Black Canyon. Yeah. So I think, after Havelina in 2021, yeah, 2021, that was like a, another kind of come to Jesus moment for us where it was like, okay, we need to be a lot better at like planning. Like how do we plan our live streams? How do we plan the stories of our live streams? And I think that that has been like one of the things that like I like to hang our hat on like in terms of like what makes us different is like we spend, we, we still feel like, Oh, we're running around last minute trying to get stuff done. But like, it's always, it's always that way with production, man. It's never going to not be that way. So, but we feel like we have typically like a good plan that is going to tell the best story. And I think that that is super important at least for me who like comes from a, a like a marketing background uh mm. in like the professional sense is like our goal going into every live stream is to tell the best story we can about the athletes about the race about the race course like whatever makes the most sense but like the goal is for there to be a fairly seamless story and to try and prioritize the story over the like pretty shots, I guess. Right. Like during Cocodona, it would be very easy for us to just like send it to a drone shot that showcases beautiful mountains or beautiful areas of Arizona. But sometimes it's more important to have a feed that's maybe not as pretty, but shows the lead runners coming into a key aid station so that you can really bring the story to, to the viewing audience. Right. And like, I think that, that, that translates like for black Canyon, a lot of times that's like 
the chase for the golden tickets, right? Like that's kind of the initial story. Totally. Um, whereas at Cocodona, the story oftentimes becomes like the will to just like exist <laughs> essentially. And that's like why a lot of times we prioritize so much, like we want to try and follow in as many runners as we can in the last like quarter mile or half mile as they kind of come into downtown flag because like, no one cares if you finished first or last in Cocodona. Totally. They care that like you finished. Like if you go and say, oh, I ran the Cocodona 250. Anyone who's like rooted in the sport and knows about it is like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah. Like they don't care if you were first or 10th or 100th. Like it's just incredible that people have the perseverance to continue forward. And like the storytelling aspect of live streams like i don't come from a media background like i'm i defer to jamil on any technical thing known to man totally um but it's like the emphasis on storytelling is something that like both jamil and i are just super passionate about and something that we try to do um and i think that that was evident once we got past that first javelina was like we need to prioritize this and that's like what's going to separate us is like let's you know, plan better and plan the story better. Yeah. And I think to be honest, that's kind of the next iteration is, you know, it's, it's, it's tough because I know that for the most part, you know, the budgets are razor thin, you know, for all of this stuff. I mean, ultra running is still a pretty nascent sport. Like there's definitely still money, there's money coming into it. And, uh, it's obviously lucrative. It, it's obviously, um, a, a plus some game for era Vipa to do them or else you guys wouldn't be doing them. But at the end of the day, you know, I think that's where the next level goes is like, how do you put the pre-production time in to better tell the stories? And a lot of that comes down to being able to hire out a small team to go do athlete profiles and um, figure out more of like what that backstory is for some of the people that are going to be on the course. So you can better tell that story, but that also, I mean, that requires, uh, that requires financing. It requires a budget. It requires a team to do it. It requires like having enough time prior to the event to say, these are the five stories or six stories, or these are the 12 athlete stories we really want to focus on. And how can we get some more content that we can bring into the feed? And like I said, that just comes down to, um, it just comes down to to having more money in the sport and more sponsor. I mean, I, I imagine a lot of what you guys do all comes from sponsorship dollars. So having more sponsors willing to cut bigger checks so you guys can go do better work. And that's kind of, as the sport grows, I think that storytelling arc, the ability to tell those stories is, is, is going to become, um, you know, present in, in, in the work that you guys do as well. So maybe I'm, yeah, I don't want to speak for you guys, but you know, well, no, I think that you're spot on. I think our, like, I think every time we decide to do a live stream, we decide whether we want to do it first. Like, is it something that interests us? And is it like, how does it benefit Aravipa? And then how does it benefit the sport? Right? Like those are kind of the things. And mm. then we kind of weigh all of those things. Like there, we've done live streams that have not made financial sense for us to do. Um, but there are things that we felt were important for the betterment of the sport. And by doing that long-term, that's going to better our brand, right? Like, sure. There's no doubt that like, when we do these things, like 
oh yeah, Aravipa's brand is is better because of it. Like that is one hundred percent part of it. But like, I think that the sport is in still in like such an infant state in terms of like sponsorship dollars coming in that like sometimes we have live streams that are like fully supported by sponsor by sponsors. Sometimes we have live streams that are fully supported by our marketing and media budget and kind of anything in between. Right. And so it's, yeah, it's interesting. And I think that you're, you're right that we need probably, I think that I think that the way I look at things is like, we need to be more creative in our sport with how we tell athlete stories because a lot of us don't have budgets to do a ton of like athlete uh, featurettes and stuff like that. So like in the, we want to get there, right? Like that is the long-term goal. But like in the meantime, like how can we build more compelling graphics packages that have, uh, like athlete bio cards that are more compelling or like I look at uh, like UTMB's uh, like kind of athlete profile graphic overlay, like I thought was like really awesome. Like how can we start doing more stuff that's maybe not as dynamic as like a, a featurette, but is still a step forward. Yeah. Um yeah. yeah and, it's interesting. You know, and I, I agree with you there too. And I think that's also, you're, you're, you're picking at low hanging fruit because I imagine Aravipa has a designer on staff, or if you don't like you can easily upwork or Fiverr somebody and you can, and you know, for, for, for that situation, it's just really about like who's managing the project to pull the data, to make sure that everything is dialed in, in some sort of software or some sort of document and say, here are your images create a framework and now lay all this information. I need, I need 25 of these made. And like that, if you can, if, if you can like create that system, I mean, that's, it's, it's four hours of someone to do the administrative work and it's a couple hours of back and forth to make sure that you have the framework right. And then all of a sudden it's maybe three hours or four hours of a graphic designer to spin those things out. And then it's, and then the onus is on, you know, Matt, honestly, the onus is on you because you're the marketing director to make sure that that content is available for whoever switching the feeds and the commentators know they have access to it. And then it shows up in, in, in the finished product. And, and I think, you know, that is something that, to be honest, like you don't really need a big budget for, because for the most part, you probably have hours that can be allocated for a handful, a, a small number of the team that are already in the marketing department to do that work. It's just about pre-planning at that point. So, yeah, exactly. Like we have a designer on staff, we have a director of technology on staff because we own our own timing system, right? So we time right. all of our own races through our own uh, like proprietary timing stuff um that like we've coded and created so it's like our director of technology can go and code stuff into our timing system to like auto populate other things to where if we more seamlessly integrate stuff we're able to do a lot of things it's just we also put on 60 plus races a year and so it's like trying to find time to to do that is the trickier part but it is more budget friendly and i think it's like I think sometimes it's about like inching forward uh, before you try to make quantum leaps, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, Yeah, and I think that there's like, there's things that we can certainly do better uh, in terms of like integrating more 
pre-produced content or like, I think there's just a lot of ways that we can do a better job of like telling athlete stories um, that I think would be super, yeah, super interesting. It's just like coming up with the plan and then figuring out how we're actually going to execute it. Yeah. You, and you just got to back work, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, you do, it's just like with you do a product launch or when you're creating a go-to-market strategy for, for a CPG product, something that I do, I've done a lot in my career. And it's like, yeah, so you just have to say, this is the date it's going to happen. And you have to work backwards and say, well, if we really want it like this, and I'm always, I mean, this is me going off on my own, like little, like, like harping tangent. I'm like, I'm always trying to explain to people, like, do you want it done right? Cause if you want it done right, it's 16 weeks. And I need everything. And like, and like, I need to make sure that you guys are on board with the fact that it's going to take us this like four months from start to finish to make sure we go from concept to iteration, to finished product, to in the market with a plan attached to it, to market the product. And, and people are always like, does it really take that long? And I'm just like, if you want it done right, yes, it does, man. Like, come on. And I think, um, you know, going back to like, you guys are providing a service and it's a visual service, but it's still the same thing. Like you have to look at, at, the low hanging fruit. And like I said, in this, we're not, we're not changing the ultra running community world here in this podcast in one conversation, but like in this conversation, there's like these two things, right? You have, you have the, the athlete vignette, which is a high cost, high touch product. And then you have like what you mentioned, which is an athlete scorecard, which is a, a low cost medium to low touch product, but you still have to like, all those things still have to be dialed in. You know, the only difference is like with what you suggested, there's scale that be, can be created behind it. And then in, in that individual athlete vignette, I mean, dude, you have a, a team has to do the work. It's a production. It's a, it's a mini production team that's doing a work on like 25 different, diff, you know, whatever, however many you want, you, you want to highlight. So it just, requ- there, there's just an economy of scale that has to be implemented. And I imagine from this side to this side that we just talked about, there's so many things in between that can be brought into the table too. And and like you mentioned, it's just about process and figuring out how do you work it into the process. So. Yeah, for, for sure. I think that there's like, I think there's a lot of promise with the, the like athlete features, but there's just like, there's a high cost. And I think also like a high risk associated with it in terms of like, if you produce 25 of them, you might not use a dozen of them or something, right? (laughs) Like, and so then it's like, ah, could we produce those in advance and then just push them out as like pre-race content instead of holding on to them for live stream storytelling? Like there's just, I don't know, in my mind there becomes, when you look at like a race's entire content suite. So like, uh, everything that you do pre-race through event weekend, through, kind of the post-mortem period across all platforms, right? So your YouTube video stuff, mm-hmm. your uh, digital stuff, your any sort of web or written stuff. When you look at that entire suite, like everything kind of, you want everything to make as much sense as possible and provide as much value as possible to brand partners, to the athletes, to uh, the people doing the work, all of those things. And so then it's like, I don't know. I like, I think there's so much value in them, but I, I do always come back to like, ah, but are there just different ways that you could do it that are less risky and more cost effective that could have as much impact impact or close, right? Like the athlete bio scorecards are not going to have the same impact, but like, is there something that no one has thought of yet? Or like no one in our sport, like, are there things that the NFL is doing or the Mm -hmm. NBA or track and field are doing? that like could inspire something new that could kind of bridge that gap. 
that would that's like the those are the thoughts that like i my mind ends up running off on uh oh they're not when bad. i start to think of those things because it's like ah if i'm gonna hire a like small production team to film 20 like pre-produced pieces of content like i just want all of those to go out like i want oh let's sure. use those and like build the hype whereas like someone who does video work would be more artistic probably in like the thinking like, Oh, this could fit into these moments better to like tell a, a, a better story, a more holistic story, a more beautiful story. Whereas I'm, I'm not the artistic one, right? Like I think solely of like, how can we tell the story and yeah. how can we tell it as comprehensively as possible? And so it's, I don't know. It's interesting. That's yeah. where my mind always wanders to is like, ah, oh, what else could we do? Like, what is the next thing? Yeah. Well, and, and your job, if, I mean, you, if you're the marketing director, your job isn't to necessarily be the creative. Your job is to take the creative and figure out where it's supposed to go. You know, like how many channels can I push all this through? How much of it is evergreen enough that I can push it through all the channels pre-race and then use it during race and push it out post-race, you know? And if they, and if you can, if you can get that content, then it's, it's like your jobs, you're like, this is, this is great. Cause now I have six pieces of content and I'm going to reuse it across pre po pre during and post. And, and I mean, anyway, we're, we're like, I love the weeds, man. I like being here with you too. But at the same time, it, it is true. Cause you know, if you don't have someone in, in the organization thinking about what the next thing is going to be, you'll never have the next thing, you know? And so it's, it's definitely really important to to take a look at like what's happening now, what it took to get there. And then like after the fact, those post those, those postmortems where you're like, this was this was an A plus. This was an A plus. This was a C minus. This was a C minus. This was a B. How do we take all the C's to B's and all the B's to A's? You know, for the next event. And um, yeah, it takes time and bandwidth, and it and it and it just requires a. Um, and I was and I'm glad you mentioned it because I was also going to mention it. Like I don't know, Air Vipa, you said does 62 events a year. There's a lot to juggle there, and I know you guys' team is is. I think people would be very surprised if they knew how many people were actually boots on the ground, uh, pulling all the levers and pushing all the buttons, um, behind the scenes. So, um, you know, it's, you, you have to pick and you guys have to definitely pick and choose your battles. Uh, but I mean, like I said, from the outside looking in, man, hats off, you guys are doing exceptional work. Um, and you know, we're going to stick with the live stream stuff. Cause I just wanted to talk about hard rock. And this was a, a, a pleasant surprise for me when I found out, cause it was something that like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like uh, how uh, actually I want to know how long was this in the works for? Cause to me, it sounded like, it felt like to me, like, like a week before the event, I found out that there was going to be a live stream, you know? And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing because if, Air Viper is doing it or the team at Air Viper is doing it. I know you guys did it through a mountain. Is it, is it mountain mountain house? Um, we did it through, we did that one through run steep run steep. Who, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. They've been a sponsor of the race for a number of years now. So that is kind of why it made sense for us to go there. But yeah. Yeah. I will just say, I thought the coverage was exceptional. Um, as someone who basically have never, I, I love the, I want, I want to run hard rock. Um, the only thing I know of hard rock is from watching people's video movies that they've made. And then like, you know, Instagram lives and like reels and stuff, you know? So for me getting to really see kind of the course, see how it lays itself out. I mean, obviously I follow dots on a map. I mean, that's like the funnest thing to do in ultra marathon spectating for the last decade. So I'm like really privy to that. I'm, I'm really good at that. And I, and obviously I run far has done an, a pretty good job of making sure that we all stay at least in the loop of what's going on on the race course. But I thought you guys did an exceptional job of bringing hard rock to life for, for, for the people. And, 
Um, you know, I would love for you to kind of talk through that. Cause like I said, to me, it felt like something that maybe there was, maybe you guys had a couple months to, to get the production together, but it just felt like something that like, uh, like a, like, like black Canyon, like a week leading up, you're like, I think we have all the pieces together. We should, we should announce this, you know, is that in, in, in my, am I reading between the lines enough there or. Um, we had, we had a little bit of time, uh, not a lot. So I don't remember the exact time frame, but it was after Cocodona, which is the first week in May. And when it hard rock is the second week or mid July. Right. So, yep. you know, at a max, it was maybe, maybe eight weeks. Um, but I want to say it was closer to something like four to six weeks from like, Hey, we have the green light to do this. Uh, let's figure it out to um, kind of executing on uh, race weekend. Hard Rock's like s- such a unique race, right? Like it's incredibly remote. They don't allow drones. So like those two things, you're you're already, you're already like, you have to be extremely creative with like how you're going to provide the coverage. And like some of the stuff came on the fly, like, we came up with the idea to use like a zoom lens, like the night before the race. And so one of our camera operators uh, out in the field was able to go to a few locations with like a zoom lens to like, you know, cover a little bit longer of a section of trail, but with the limited cell connectivity with like the way Starlinks work, I think that this is something that maybe some people don't understand is like you have to be within Wi-Fi range of this satellite dish essentially in order for it to work. And just like your home internet, the further you get away from your modem, the the worse your connectivity gets. Right. And so it's like, you don't get a lot of follow cam footage because there's bad cell connectivity and you're running out of range of the Starlink. But I think like it was a production that like we were really proud of as a team. Like I didn't go and produce in Silverton. That was uh, Bryce, who is our like marketing outreach coordinator, like does a lot of our email stuff. Um, We'd been like training him to do in-studio podcast stuff. He went to Silverton and produced the live stream and Jamil was there. And um, we had like a number of great commentators from the Silverton gym, but like, like obviously, yeah, we would all love more on course coverage of hard rock. Like that would be great. Right. Yep. And there's probably ways to like bridge some of those things. Although with the snow that that area got this year, like even getting around was quite a bit slower. Um, but like our entire content suite again, like start to finish was what we felt was like the best foot we've put forward where it was the first time we'd done more of like these lounge style conversation, pre-race interviews, like, drawing a lot of inspiration from what like Sidious mag does in the track space where they're more casual conversations. That was our first time doing that. It was, um, you know, our first time doing a lot of like clipping live stream footage and posting to social in real time. It was our first time uploading high res recorded finished stuff in semi real time. Um, like, and that's, those, that's all not of those easy things like helped a lot. Yeah. And that's not easy. Like, I think people think like, Oh, 
just take the live stuff and feed it, push it into the feed. And there's like, I don't know, a dozen steps that go in between getting it out of the camera, making sure it's, it's, it's the quality you need to go into the feed and then pushing it into the feed. Um, a couple of things I want to mention. I think that you guys created like, I want to call it like the buddy system or, uh, you know, you guys had like the, you had a on field announcer and then they, there was a camera and there was these two, it was two individuals. And I think, um, Myal and uh, was it Jeff Jeff Colt. Jeff Colt? Yeah, so those two. It was a very dy- it was a very dynamic thing, and getting to watch both of them kind of play tag on like who's going to be the content guy, who's going to be who's going to be the voice, right? Like that was really cool to see. Um, they did a really good job of filling in the time between the people in the studio, um, and you know, like you mentioned, like yeah, you know, drones and no cell coverage. So like, I imagine going into it, you guys are like, so we have eight weeks to put this together and you just cut out, cut us off at the kneecaps. So let's get started producing the high, the best quality, you know, experience we can. Um, but anyway, I, like I said, I just wanted to say, you know, to me, it didn't feel rushed though, based on like when I felt like it was announced and like, we all like, we all knew it was going to happen. I was like, Oh man, they've been, they've been, they've been working diligently behind the scenes to get this going because I feel like that's something that you would have put out into the ethers like a month before hard rock or six weeks before hard rock. If you guys, if you guys had the opportunity, you know I mean? That's something you want to build upon and you want to get the hype up there. Um, but yeah, like I, I loved, I loved the, you guys brought certain personalities into the studio. Um, I love that. I love the aspect of it. I like that. Um, they were sitting there right in the gym. So like you could like hear the crowd roaring as, as people were coming in and, and, and it was just like, it was a really cool feel. And, and I kind of brought a little, a lot of visuals to, I think a race that's like iconic in the eyes of many. And I think we've all seen images. We've all seen video, um, you know, through the years, but, but to kind of for, for the crew, for you guys on the crew and gals to like, really tell a story to us was, was something I thought was really, really special. And I think it just kind of, it's like a culmin there's a culmination happening. I think there's been a big arc in, in what you guys have done at Air Viper and, and your ability to to tell that story and then bring, you know, compelling live um, video and commentary to the sport. And, you know, I'm going to keep saying it super appreciative of the work you guys are doing. So. Yeah. I mean, we appreciate it. And again, I think that, yeah. Like we just, we work with so many great people, uh, that like it helps, right? Like Jamil is, you know, arguably one of the most like forward thinking people in, in the sport in regards to media. And we've got like a lot of hardworking people on the staff who like one of our event crew was driving, uh, uh, Mayel and Jeff Colt, like around the San Juans from location to location. And, we work with a lot of great commentators and um, yeah, I mean, it's like we get to reap the the praise, but like ultimately it's a small village of people. And then it's like a community of people consuming the content that like ultimately is what matters, right? Like no one watched any of it. it we wouldn't do it anymore. Right. Sure. And so it's like people taking time out of their day to consume, you know, people, trampling through the mountains uh is like is pretty awesome and just supporting everything we do is is appreciated yeah man no no doubt i loved uh some of my my favorite moments uh is my l in the morning talking with ann frost with her daughter that was really really cool and you know not realizing that like 
I know she's ran hard rack in the past, but obviously that, that space, uh, Silverton and that race, uh, it's near and dear to her because like, why would she move there? It, why would she not have a home there that she spent a decent part of her year there? If, if it wasn't something that she felt like was super special. Um, and then watch, I can't remember his name, but watching the second place runner, like blow through hard rock aid stations, was just kind of like mind blowing to me. I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is happening. And then for him to just, can, just to hang on and, and, and can, and, and actually, uh, can, you know, continue and, and, and take home a second place finish there. I was just like, man, this is really cool. The sport is evolving. Um, you know, and, and big ups, I think, you know, Brett, Brett Horning, you know, shout out, he does a good job. He did it. He, him and Finn did a great job, um, for Cocodona and then, you know, bringing him on to, to do some of the, the commentary for hard rock. I think, um, you know, that was really cool and, and a nice, fresh voice, a nice, a nice, fresh voice. Um, but someone that like really knows the sport really, really well and was able to, to add a lot of value to, to the listening audience. So yeah, I mean, it, like that's one of the things that we're always trying to do as much as we can is like to bring new voices into the into the space. Like, you know, being able to work with Finn and Brett, and then haven't been able to work with Leah Yingling, who, yep. like, I would argue is one of the one of the best uh, in in the space right now. And like, yeah, I mean, I think that the sport needs more voices uh, so that we can kind of continue to grow. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's awesome that we've been able to work with just so many incredible people. One other thing, if you are not a free trail pro member, you are missing out. I love the free trail community and have been a member from the beginning. We all love trail culture. I would guess that you love trail races because the community around this amazing sport is second to none. Well, that's how I feel about the free trail community. With the Free Trail Pro subscription, you can bring the trail running community you love everywhere you go. You get access to the Free Trail Slack community, training plans, weekly office hours that feature special guests, exclusive member-only content, early access to merch drops, and so much more. From training and gear questions to getting inspiration from the epic adventures and races that members are doing, the Free Trail community is the place to be. Start your free trial today at freetrail.com. After that, it's only $96 a year for membership. If you are a fan of what Free Trail is doing for our sport, that is a small price to pay to support some of the best written, visual, and audio content in trail and ultra running. I hope to see you in the Free Trail Slack community. And when you introduce yourself, mention the Midpacker Pod. Yeah, man, here, here. Well, um, let's go ahead and, and transition. Um, and I like, thanks Matt for, uh, indulging, uh, and nerding out with me on the live stream. I appreciate that. Uh, you're coming out of retirement, man. So what, um, what's predicating this? I mean, what, what, what's got the stoke back in you and, uh, let's talk about this race that you're going to run here in 2024. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that what brought the stoke back was, uh, AJW incessantly talking about Western States for about a month straight. Um, so Andy recently moved back to the Valley. Uh, he does a lot of work for air Viper, yeah. um, in terms of commentary. And, um, like I talk with Andy probably on like an, a daily basis and like the month leading up to Western States, like nothing but Western States talk in like our group texts, nothing like everywhere. I looked for a podcast. It was Andy Jones. Wilkins was on the podcast talking about Western States. And so 
after the race and the live stream, like, yeah, I just like got excited about the sport again and excited about like chasing that Western state journey. That's likely going to take a decade and, uh, and like, yeah, just, I don't know. I just felt like good about where I'm at in the sport, but also like, I felt like I do, I'm trying my best to do a lot to move the sport forward so that, you know, my children have more opportunities in the sport than I had and so on and so forth. But I was like, ah, I should like, why don't I reap the benefits of that from time to time? Right. And so, um, I talked with my wife and decided to sign up for the 2024 Georgia death race, which is a race. Like a lot of my friends have done in the past. I've crewed. They're like, I would say the mountains that like formed me, uh, mm, as a trail runner. Coming right? back like, home. Yeah. And so it's like, I trained for my first ultra in those mountains and, uh, like my first ever trail run was in those mountains and like real trail run and like all of those things. And, and so I was like, ah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. It's a race that scares me because I know how hard all of those trails are. Um, and so it's like a race that will force me to train. And so it's also a race that's like gotten me excited to do all of the little things to like stay healthy, Mm. which has been like, like I tore my Achilles in 2013, which we talked about, but I tore my other Achilles in 2017 and like have just struggled being healthy since because like once you have kids, one of the things that goes like, oh, I can spend time running or doing the stuff to stay healthy. And it's like, oh, I'm just going to go run and like roll the dice every time. And so now it's like, okay, I've got to spend the extra time doing all the little things to like stay healthy enough to put in the training that I need for a race that's 70 miles. I haven't run over 50 K and it's really hard. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like, that sounds awesome, right? Like sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Well, a, a word, word of advice for you. Um, I have a yoga mat that's always like rolled out next to the television <laughs> and the couch. And when the kid goes to bed, I am on that thing doing floor work and, I've got a decline board that I keep like right there. I mean, my, I will say, you know, my wife is like, does this stuff have to be out? And like, yes, it has to be out because if it's out, I'll use it, you know? And, you know, you got to get on the D for you, especially with those Achilles, man, you got to get on the decline board. You got to do those, those single leg calf raises and those bent calf lit raises. So you can keep that soleus uh, really strong. And then, you know, just, man, the little things suck, dude, but like, you got to do it, you know, for three, four five days a week, you got to get on the floor. And if, if, and you gotta just have to tell the wife, you gotta be like, listen, I know this is when we're supposed to be like on the couch, cuddling, watching Netflix, but for the next like couple months, because I have this goal, like I'm going to be doing like Jane Fonda workouts on the floor while we're, while, while we're hanging out watching TV. I hope you're okay with that. And then like you guys can, you know, obviously you know how to pick and choose your battles with the misses, but you know, just tell you, like, like you said, the little things are tough, man. And it's, it's really hard to do them sometimes, but I will agree with you as you know, I'm 43 years old. Um, I think I would have just fallen apart if I, if I didn't have a decent regimen of, of doing the little things constantly. So, you know. 100%. I think yeah. that that's the hardest thing for me, at least is like, uh, getting out the door is easy. Like I live in one of the most iconic mountain towns in the country, right? Like I've yeah. got 
trail access out my door, but it's like, oh, you don't get to enjoy all those trails if you're dinged up every six weeks, you yeah. know? Yeah, no, Flag is amazing. When I um, I travel, I moved my my I moved from California to back to the East Coast of North Carolina a little over a year ago, and I I I got the uh, auspicious honor of driving to U-Haul with a trailer and a, a pulling a car trailer um, across the country. My wife flew with the kid, and the kid was like four months at the time, so it's like it made the most sense to just like for her to take a red eye and get picked up by my parents um and just hang out with them for a week but i i i remember leaving california and i was like if i don't stop driving i'll get to flagstaff at like 11 o'clock at night and i'll get the cheapest hotel i can find and i'll get up in the morning and i'm gonna go run flag before i get back on the road i literally planned this like week-long trip across the country i'm like where can i get some decent running in while i'm in that half of the country because once you get into the midwest and and the east coast it's kind of like you're just kind of running run next on, on farm roads outside of town. But I, I remember being like, I make if I make good time, dude, I could put in like 10 miles in Flagstaff before, you know, anyone even wakes up in the morning. So yeah, I haven't spent enough time in flag, but I do know, I know the area well enough to know that it doesn't suck. And you're in one of the best places in, in, on the planet for, for trail running. So, um, maybe we can talk about that for a second. Like, you know, I know you have to commute a lot to Phoenix and it's not that big of a commute, but, uh, if you have to work in the office, but, um, you know, what, for you, what is, what's special about the Flagstaff scene that, that keeps you there? Or could you see yourself being anywhere else after living in flag and, and getting to experience the quote unquote trail culture that exists, um, in, in, in and around that area? Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the biggest things with flag is like, there are just world-class trails everywhere. Mm, yeah. Um, like there are miles and miles of trails. You can get in any type of training on soft surface that you could ever imagine. Um, and so it's like, I mean, there are a lot of places like that in the country though, right? Like, uh, Salt Lake city, Marin, like, uh, the Pacific Northwest, like there are a lot of places but like for me, one of the cool, like interesting things is just like the endurance community here in Flag, right? Like you've got a lot of trail runners who live here who train at a high level or even not at a high level. You've got Hoka NAZ Elite, like an elite marathon program based out of here. You've got NAU, like the best collegiate uh, men's distance program in the country. Um, you've got other other like professional road groups you've got people tr coming in for uh training camps so it's like the endurance vibe here is like always super high like you might see like i don't know like i think jess hall who uh recently moved back to australia but ran for um uh some of the nike clubs here like she was here doing a training camp or like Jakob Ingebrigtsen was here like doing workouts on the NAU track. And it's like, you will just randomly see these people like on the trails or at the coffee shop or wherever, wherever. And it's like, that's cool on the road scene, but then you also have like just so many like cool trail runners and everyone's like super supportive of each other. It's like a small town vibe with like just a massive endurance community. Yeah, it's very few places. I mean, I think Boulder, you know, I think of Boulder, but like there's very few yep. places where you're going to get, you know, those sub 104 
for the men or one Oh five for the men. And then sub, you know, you know, one twenty-five for the women, like marathon runners, or even like 1600 world meter world champions, you know, like in your town doing that work. Right. And those are me. I mean, we're talking about tip of the spear athletes as far as just conditioning and living the running lifestyle. And then ultimately, you know, juxtapose that with, you know, the ultra running community, which is about as, I mean, we have professionals in our sport, don't get it twisted, but we're about as laissez-faire as it gets when, when, when you compare us against the spectrum of endurance sports, you know, ultra running is kind of that, like, we're still the redheaded stepchild though. We're doing things that I think most of those athletes look at and they're like, yeah, not for, you know, no, no way, no how you guys are crazy, you know, but we're definitely, we, we take a, a more laid back approach to it. I think, yeah, that's really cool. And my experience in flag, I think what I like about it is you, you kind of have that altitude. Um, you got to trails for days, but then you guys have four seasons. So like, you know, if you're into skiing, like you can still get access to go ski decent, um, you know, decent conditions, a couple a couple months out of the year, but ultimately you're only, you know, a 45 minute drive from really good desert trails that will never see snow, you know? So you kind of have that. And, and Boulder is, I mean, I, I hate, I hate to keep, making the comparison, but Boulder is very similar to like very rarely does Boulder get inundated with snow. So it's like you, you have kind of, you can do the winter sports thing. You have climbing there, um, you know, and this is flag. Like you, you can kind of get all of, all of, you kind of scratch all your itches there and still not sacrifice running, you know, 330 days, uh, 310 days a week if you want to do that, you know? So. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think Boulder is like probably the other, most apt comparison in terms of like the dynamic representation uh, of the endurance community that the city has, right? Like having fast, shorter distance people, having road people, having elite trail athletes um, like Boulder is like that in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think the big difference is flag is still, I mean, flag has grown a lot in the last 20 years since I first went, been to that town, but uh, I think Boulder has seen like extra, uh, crazy growth, just crazy, crazy, crazy growth comparatively. And I think flags probably not too far, uh, not too far behind, you know, cause all the cool places, everyone wants to be in the cool places and in, in this r- remote work day and age. But, uh, but yeah, man, it's cool to have like one of the, you know, uh, uh, not, I'm not saying I'm jealous, but I'm just saying it's really cool to have, uh, one of the, you know, most epic playgrounds in your backyard. But, um, yeah, if you ever, if you ever do get a chance, you want to come check out the, the mountains of Western North Carolina. Um, I don't know if you ever got a chance to run in them, uh, when, when you were living at, in Atlanta, but, uh, it, it doesn't suck over here either. So. No, I haven't gotten up to them, but I know a lot of my friends uh, used to go up and train in like the, uh, I forget what the mountain range is, but up near Mount Mitchell quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, it's, a blue, it's basically the Blue Ridge, Pisgah, Pisgah Range, yeah. Blue Ridge. Yeah, that's, I mean, I live in, when, um, I live in Asheville for the most part. Uh, and that's oh, kind nice. of, the, yeah, it's, yep. it's another one of those places that has grown. Like we were here 15 years ago and I'm like, man, this place is just kind of blown up. Um, but that's, that's a super underrated, uh, trail running community. Like Asheville is pretty epic. It's nice, man. We have good trails and it's, there's a big bike, uh, there's a big mountain bike scene here and there's a decent trail running scene here, but it's not like, I'm surprised with the lack of races that are going on in these mountains. Like, they, they exist. There are races. Don't get it twisted. But, like, with the the quality of the trails, you would think that I would be able to find, like, a trail every... I mean, every single weekend, you'd think that there'd be a trail race that would be that would be out in my backyard. But, I mean, I, I, I like racing, man. But I like, I like literally, like, 
exploring and adventuring as just as much as, as, as I like racing too. So, um, well, you know, Matt, I appreciate you, you giving us all this time, man. I've, I've got, you know, unless, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, you know, I've got some rapid fire questions and, and then, and then we can round out the pod. Um, let's do it. Awesome. Okay, cool. Um, well, let me just talk really quickly. So I, 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 I spoke before how, um, you know, you remember the free trail community, you show up on office hours. It's awesome to see you there. Um, I have a couple questions that I ask, uh, the free trailers when they're, when they're on the pod. So, um, you know, what's your, what's your favorite, uh, Slack channel on free trail? Yeah, I think that I like them all. I'll preface my answer with that, but I think nice. like the, the adventure channel is cool because you see like a lot of photos of what people are doing which is like always super epic and then the racing channel uh i think is always cool as well just to like get some banter around uh like various races that are ongoing yeah and and, you know i think the event i will preface that i think you know you're spot on with that too like i think the adventure channel is nice because you see you're like never heard of that that looks amazing and let me just bust out my little note my little notebook my little note over here on my imac and like type this in really quickly so i can reference it later you know as far as like if i'm creating a bucket list of all the trails i want to run um and then you know just getting to see what the community does and that's that's kind of what's going on in the adventure in the adventure channel and in the race channel i think the race channel is cool because you know on any given sunday man we've got we've we've got team we've got crew uh you know free trail family that are like going out there and doing stuff man and whether it's it, it could be a 10k and it could be a 100 miler or it could be a 200 miler but like man they're just out there getting after it and it's like really cool to to get support to get to support those individuals but also just see like some of the fun races and 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 get to hear about some of their experiences so i think um you know i love those cha- i love those channels as well um uh, I'm a little partial to the master's channel as, as, as being a, a 43 year old. Now I like the master's channel. There's a lot of banter over there. Um, but, but yeah, man. And then, uh, the last question I have for you from, from, uh, the free trail stuff is we've got custom emojis. If you don't know what custom emojis are on Slack, you're missing out. Um, and, uh, you know, I will just say, if you're not a member of free trail pro, you're also missing out. But, um, what's your favorite, uh, free trail custom emoji? Yeah, I like the, uh, my favorite is just the classic like free trail logo emoji, sure. like the little purple box with the, um, the like trail sign F, yep. uh, in it. Like, I just, I don't know. Every time I see that, I'm like, ah, that's such a good, like icon logo. It I'm is. like, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I also like that. You can just drop it. You, you don't have to type out in free trail slack. You don't have to type out free trail ever again. Cause all you have to do is drop the emoji and it says what you need to see. You know, the icon says what you need to say. So I think that's, that's also really exactly. cool. Um, I'm a fan of the faces. So, uh, there's a Debo head, there's a Courtney DeWalter head, there's a Ryan thrower head. Um, you know, there's a Jim Wamsley, but it's not the head. It's like his whole body. And there's a Courtney that does the same thing. So during UTMB week, like, let's just say you could not drop enough of those emojis any, anywhere in, uh, in free trail slack. And like, I don't know, I'm like going to floss my ego here. I have my own emoji now because of the pod, which I think is really cool. I feel like I, I knew I made it when, uh, when someone, and I don't know who does this, someone in the community and I don't even know how to do it, but I guess like, it's pretty easy to make these custom emojis, but someone in the community, like 
creates the custom emojis and, and uploads them into the Slack for us. So that's kind of where all of them came from. It was from like, a, I think one or two members of the community uh, have made all these custom emojis for us. So Love it. I'm going to yeah. have to start using the uh, Ryan Thrower head emoji. Oh yeah, dude. You know, the but, pride of Indiana. Yeah, that's Midwest right. Midwest zone, baby. Yeah. And and like, you know, Ung Sung, one of the best con one of the best up and coming content creators in the sport, if I might if I might say I'm I may I'm you know, maybe I'm a little biased. This is a you know, this is a um you know, this podcast is brought to you by by Free Trail and the Free Trail Podcasting Network. But uh love the work that Ryan does for sure. So um well Matt, let's let's move on to the rapid fire questions. Super easy stuff here. Uh Born to run or ultra marathon, man. Born to run. Okay. That's the consensus. Uh, I thought Dean would get a little more love, but I, I hear you and I'm, I'm in the same boat. I remember reading born to run for the first time and just being like, I was like trying to get into obstacle racing at the time. And I remember like reading this, reading that book and being like, yeah, forget a Spartan race, man. Like what's up with this? What's up with this ultra marathon stuff? This sounds like this is my cup of tea. Um, so yeah, and it's a great story. And obviously I think, and I say this, you know, on just by every pod, I asked the question because it's just a great way to, to filter how, how, how people got into the sport and like, what was the thing that really was a, was a big part of showcasing trails and ultra and ultra running to them. Obviously like everyone has their own Genesis story with the sport, but I feel like those two books were kind of, depending on your age demographic, they, they really kind of kicked off, um, the growth that we're seeing now, you know, 15, 20 years later. So definitely i own both books nice uh, me too but yeah yeah cool um what's your favorite post-race meal oh pizza there you go 100 yeah. percent. any yeah, I... any pizza just like inject the grease straight back <laughs> into my veins uh yeah. like that's all i need yeah feel you i'm a fan of pizza after a race too if i can get it um you know, when, when I can eat, if I can get to a good spot with good pizza, pizza, like I'll, I can devour an entire pizza. Like I can take the whole thing down. No problem. So 100%. Um, yeah. And then what's your favorite, you know, we, you're coming out of retirement. I get it. But what was your favorite, what's your favorite distance to race? Um, if you're gonna, if you're gonna race and it doesn't, you know, we're, we're talking anything from, you know, you know, talk, you know, five K to across the country, bro, you know, the, the world's your oyster. So yeah. I mean, I think when I was racing a lot and like at a higher level, like I enjoyed probably the 25 ish K distance a little bit more. Whereas now, like I just want big adventures in the mountains basically. So, um, like now my interest is more probably in stuff that's closer to like that 50 mile hundred K range, even though I haven't done it yet. Um, uh, that's more, just like I want to go do hard stuff in the mountains and, you know, race less frequently, but do more epic things probably. Yeah. And those two, that's a, it's a really good sweet spot. Cause it's like, it's a done in a day proposition. You know, even if you have a thermonuclear break, like explosion in the middle of the woods, you know, like on a 50 mile area, like 15, 16 hours, you're, you're, you can be done. Like even if things get really hard and it sucks for a couple hours, like, you know, that's as long as it's going to be. Um, but but yeah, I think, um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think those are good. You know, I personally like the, if I'm going to race, I know how to race a 50 miler. I've done it really well, at least for me, like I'm a middle of the pack guy, but I know how to race a 50 miler. I know how to turn myself inside out and not completely destroy myself and still be able to drive myself home at the end of the race. Whereas like, I'm still trying to figure out like 
how to race a hundred, a hundred miler. They always just turn into these like long epic marches. Um, so we'll see like next, next week we'll see. So, um, Matt, man, thank you so much for being on the pod. Uh, you know, I noticed you have no social media, so that's amazing. I want to be like, uh, check on that. I want to be like you. Um, but is there any place if anyone wanted to, besides free trail, if anyone wanted to reach out to you, um, or is there any place you, you, you would direct them or would you say, um, I'm good. I do, I do not need to be, uh, hassled by the audience of the mid packer pod. Uh, I mean, anyone can like, yeah, you can reach out to me in free trail. My email is just mad at Aravipa running. Like oh, shit. my email me. is very open. I, uh, I, I take like a Mark Cuban philosophy to that. Like Mark Cuban has made his email public for years. Like if anyone needs to reach out to me. Uh, that's, that's where it is. Very cool, man. I like that. Uh, I like that you're brave enough to throw the email out there. And honestly, you know, my inbox is the bane of my existence, my working inbox. And, and you have to be really good with your subject line if you're going to get me to respond. So just to preface everybody, like if you really want Matt to respond to your email, like make sure that your, your, you know, your elevator pitch, your like your three words that he's going to see in, in, in the preview of that inbox better be compelling enough for him to open up the email because, um, yeah, I, I know that that's how it is for me. If you end up, if you find my email anywhere in the world and you don't, and, and you're not just instantly grabbing me by, uh, by the good ones to, to get my attention, uh, you're not going to get it. So, so a fun fact, I read every single work email that I receive. Oh my gosh. Are you a zero? I will open, I open every email and I read it. You're a zero inbox guy. Well, I have zero unread. Oh my God. I I don't have everything. I don't have everything like foldered. I no no. I, I get anxious that I don't have everything foldered. Uh, when I worked at Mizuno, zero emails in my inbox unless I needed to do something with them. Wow, Everything was cool. read, handled and foldered. Yeah. Whereas now I just read it and handle it and don't folder it, but I read everything. And if I don't care about it, I delete it and don't respond, but yeah. I will read it. Yeah. Very good, man. That's awesome. I, that's the one thing I did a really poor job of is I, I use my work email to sign up to all these different like marketing, like, <laughs> you know, new, not newsletters, but like they got me, they, they, the, the funnel worked and I'm like, Oh, I need to, I need this white paper. I need to learn. I need to know this. I'm like, I'm a sponge. I need to know all these things instead of doing the smart thing, which is you set up a dummy email that's specific for all those things. And so like my work email, uh, gosh, I, I feel bad for the audience, but like, so if I ever get a personal assistant or even a virtual assistant, like the first thing they're doing and I already know is like, they're cleaning up my inbox. Like they're just going to be the people that go through and decide and, 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 and figure it out. Or at some point I'm just going to nuke my inbox because if you need to get a hold of me, like you're, you, the important people know how to get a hold of me, you know? So, well, my, um, so my old boss at Mizuno, he used to say like when you would go on vacation and come back, he would just say, just delete everything in your inbox. And if it's important, it'll come back to you. That was Dude, his philosophy. I love, I love that. I love that. That's, that's, um, I, I th that's, it's so, it, that's really good leadership, man. Is like, you just have to be able to let go of all those things. Cause none of it really matters at the end of the day, because if someone really does need to get in touch with you, they will figure out how to get in touch with you. So um, it's great. Yeah, man. Rant, rant over Matt, dude. Thank you so much for being on the pod. And, uh, 
yeah, man, I look forward to, to, I, I look forward to, to the stuff that you guys are going to do with Air Viper and I'm excited to, to see you, uh, doing commentary, man. And, and I'll make sure, uh, I'll be active in the chat and, uh, and saying what's up. So thanks. Yeah, man. Have a great day. You too. All right. Well, if you're still here, thanks for sticking around to the end. Uh, a few things and a couple call to actions. If you could uh, do any of these things, it would be a big help for us. So first, follow us on Instagram at the Midpacker Pod. And if you if you like this episode, do me a favor. Take a screenshot of this episode from your podcast feed on your podcast player and upload it to your stories on Instagram. Tag the Midpacker Pod. Leave a comment on the post about how amazing you think the pod is. We'll share it on our IG. It'll really help to spread the word about the podcast and grow our audience. And it'd be really appreciated. If you, if you value the content, you know you can help us out that way. Uh, if you like the show and you haven't already, please consider giving us a rating and review on whatever platform you are listening on. It really does help. Uh, increase our searchability on the algorithm. It puts us in front of uh, other people that like trail and ultra running. And so, um, you know, these are two things that you can do to to really help spread the word about the pod. You know, if you value the content, um, I definitely value each and every one of you that listen every single week. Uh, and and yeah, I am just super super grateful. Um, also, if you're interested in supporting any of our sponsors, you can find links and codes in the show notes. I'm super stoked to bring this content to you all every single week. And, and as always, thank you for your support and we'll see you next time on the Midpacker pod. Mm-hmm.